right, as Adam said, we're going to continue with the, our, our study about the Holy Spirit, reading from John chapter 14. And I we covered a lot in the last lesson, and some of it I just touched on briefly, and I wanted to slow down a little bit because this, to me, the Holy Spirit from coming from the background that most of us have come from was a neglected subject. And I, I, I hope that studying this will open your eyes up to seeing things in the scripture on your own and starting to put things together about the importance of the Holy Spirit for us on our own journey. So as mentioned in the last, last several classes have been on the Farewell Discourse of Jesus, which uh, starts at the end of John chapter 13, goes through the end of John chapter 17. So Jesus has, uh, this takes place after the Last Supper, before Jesus is going to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane and be betrayed. So this night before Jesus is crucified. A little background. So we were talking, Jesus was talking about the helper the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, who w- who was with them and would be in them. We talked about that in the last last lesson. We talked about just reviewing. There's a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. I think it's good for us to have this deep in our understanding that the Holy Spirit is divine. Holy Spirit is begotten of the Father. Some would say it's begotten of the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is in third place. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force. So the Holy Spirit is has a personality, has a will. And Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as He in, in John 14 and John 16. The Holy Spirit spoke to people. Ananias lied to the Holy Spirit. So, so some basic uh, foundational concept we want to understand about the Holy Spirit. Of course, it says several places in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit, including in the passage we just looked at, the Holy Spirit would dwell inside of Christians. So this is a wild, amazing, mysterious thing, the idea that the Holy Spirit, which is divine and is a person, one of the three persons representing the Trinity of God, would actually be dwelling inside of us, which is an amazing mystery. And I mentioned that for me, in understanding the Holy Spirit, the two passages in the Old Testament that are most helpful to me, one is Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, that talks about the, the aspects, the beautiful description of the Holy Spirit who would, in the future, descend on Jesus. That's fulfilled in Jesus' baptism. And then the other one isn't one scripture, but it's a whole collection of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the pillar of cloud and fire that led people through the wilderness. And I I just mentioned a few things about that, but to me this is so useful and helpful. I just want to slow down and read through those those scriptures so we can all process this and and see. Why, Why is this important? Paul links the pillar of cloud and fire that led them to and through the water and led them through the wilderness for 40 years he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verses 1 and 2, he says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So this idea of the cloud and the sea, they were baptized. Early Christians across the board understood uh, when Jesus is saying in, in John chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, 
You'd be born again of the water and the Spirit, tying together with what Peter says in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, immersed in water, you'll receive the forgiveness of sins in the Holy Spirit. That this is the spiritual rebirth that Jesus is talking about here. You must be born again, you must be spiritually reborn. And he says, so Paul says they were all baptized in the cloud and the sea back then is a foreshadowing of Christian baptism. And the point that he's making is they were all baptized, but most of them didn't make it, so we better be careful about our own journey before we get to the promised land. So, uh, so Paul equates this, he's going back to the account in Exodus chapter, uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14 that talks about this. So I want to go back to... Uh, Exodus chapter 13, to this, this mysterious cloud. Okay, in Exodus chapter 13 is when this strange pillar of cloud and fire appears right after the Passover event. Exodus chapter 12, right before this, we see the Passover lamb is slain. The people have a special meal. They eat the lamb that night. It says that none of its bones were broken. They put the blood of the lamb on the door frames of the house. And then the Jews who remain in the homes are protected by the blood of the Lamb. Now this is a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus, he is the Passover Lamb, as it talks about in in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Peter alludes to that as well. He is the Passover Lamb. He was sacrificed at twilight on the eve of the Passover. None of his bones were broken. It's through his blood that we're saved. And then there was a memorial meal that commemorates this that took place. So this is, so we have the Passover lamb slain in Acts chapter 12. And then right after, shortly after this, in Acts chapter 13, I want to read verses starting at verse 17. So so after this, uh, the Jews are expelled from Egypt they have the death of the firstborn. Those who are protected by the, the household protected by the blood of the lamb don't have death in, in their families. So in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17, that when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the desert to the Red Sea. And the fifth generation of the children of Israel went up from the land of Egypt. Now Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. He had placed the the children of Israel under Solomon, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from there with you. So they took uh, their journey from Succoth and camped to Atham in the desert. Moreover, God led them by day in a pillar of cloud to show them the way and by night in a pillar of fire. Thus the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before all the people. So this is the first place where this shows up. So it's in Egypt that they're, they're being expelled. The Passover lamb has been slain. The, the pillar of cloud and fire shows up and leads them 
toward the Red Sea. So first shows up, first shows up in Egypt on the way out as they're being expelled. And then it talks about this more as they're crossing the, the Red Sea in, uh, in chapter 14, starting in verse 19. Now the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And the night passed, but there was such darkness and blackness, they did not come near one another all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord carried back the sea by a strong south wind all that night, and made the sea dry ground. Thus the water was divided. So the children of Israel went in the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and their left. Then the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen. Now it came to pass, in the morning watch, the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. He bound the axles of their chariots and wheels and caused them to proceed with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let's flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then, uh, of course, the, 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 the Israelites pass through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptian army is drowned. Uh, and uh, there's a great celebration among uh, the Israelites afterward. Uh, after that, and they're in the wilderness headed towards the promised land. So what I see here, it says the pillar of the cloud and the angel of the Lord both moved from in front of the people and they went to the back. So it's leading them and and then it goes behind. Now the Egyptian army is following them and this pillar of cloud and fire is casting one side where God's people are in light and the other side, in dreadful, thick darkness. Um, so uh, it separates and protects God's people from their enemies. And then in Exodus 14, 24, it says, The Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. So <clears throat> get definitely get a sense of the, <clears throat> the cloud, the pillar of fire and cloud is the presence of God that is leading, protecting, and distinguishing between God's people and their enemies. Uh, later on in the story, the pillar of cloud, so it's a pillar of cloud protects them as they travel through the Red Sea, and then during the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, the pillar of cloud plays a very important role there as well. Let's turn to the end of Exodus, the very, the very end of, of the book. Story of Exodus, the Jews travel for several months down the Sinai Peninsula to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain, gets the Ten Commandments, and also gets specific instructions for building the tabernacle, which later on from the time of Solomon would turn into the temple of God, a permanent structure. So it's a tabernacle is like a movable, portable temple. It could move around with the people. And... Uh, so after the instructions for the temple are given and the temple is, I'm sorry, the tabernacle is built, the tabernacle is consecrated 
And I want to read from the, the end of Exodus chapter 40, starting verse 28. It says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of testimony, and the tabernacle was filled with the Lord's glory. But Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of testimony, because the cloud overshadowed it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud ascended from the tabernacle, the, people, the children of Israel prepared to depart with their belongings. But if the cloud did not ascend, they did not prepare to depart until the cloud ascended. For before all Israel, throughout all their journeys, the cloud was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night. So, this is a pretty amazing story. They, they build the tabernacle, and then the pillar descends on the tabernacle. And it's in the daytime, it's a pillar of cloud, and nighttime, it's a pillar of fire, and that's maintained for 40 years. And when the, when the, when the pillar lifts, the people pack up, and they move the, the tabernacle themselves, and they follow wherever it leads. So this is the picture of the pillar uh, of, of cloud and fire. I'd like to read in Numbers chapter 9. This will give you a little more graphic picture of what it was like for them. Of course, the significance of this is because the cloud is representing the, the time in the wilderness. Crossing the Red Sea represents baptism for us. Egypt is the old life before someone becomes a Christian. The time of wilderness is the Christian life. So everything that happens in the wilderness is very important to us because this is mapping out what we're going through. And we want to make it, the goal is to make it the promised land which represents heaven. So this is all, all tremendously important for us. And in Numbers, uh, Numbers <coughs> chapter 9, we'll start reading at verse 15. Now on the day the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. We just read about that in Exodus 40. The house of the testimony from eventide until morning, <clears throat> it was on the tabernacle like a form of fire. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the form of fire by night. Whenever the cloud ascended from the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel broke camp. And in the place where the cloud stood, there the children of Israel made camp. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would make camp, and at the command of the Lord, they would break camp. All the days the cloud overshadowed the tabernacle, the children of Israel would encamp. Even when the cloud would continue many days on the tabernacle, the children of Israel would obey God's orders and did not break camp. So it would be, whenever the cloud would overshadow the tabernacle a number of days, at the voice of the Lord, they would encamp, at the command of the Lord, they'd break camp. So it would be, when the cloud would continue from eventide until morning, and the cloud would ascend in the morning, then they'd break camp, and if the cloud would continue a day or a day, or a night, or a month, or an abundance of days overshadowing it, the children of Israel would encamp and not break camp. At the command of the Lord, they'd break camp, and at the command of the Lord, by the hand of Moses, they'd obey the Lord's order. So, so this is the picture that when the pillar of fire and cloud descended, the people would set up camp. And it explains in Numbers chapter 2 how they did that. There were 12 tribes, and they had three tribes camped on the north, 
three on the south, three on the east, three on the west. So this was the center of the entire community. And the pillar and cloud could be there for a day or a night, a few days, a month, or several months. But whatever it was, as long as it stayed put, they went nowhere. But when the pillar and cloud lifted, they broke camp because this was the, the orders of the Lord. And they knew they had to go exactly where God told them if they were going to have the presence of the Lord with them. So this is a picture of what life was like in the wilderness, a foreshadowing of the Christian life. That the Holy Spirit, the pillar of cloud and fire, told them exactly where to go and, and was, was their guide and protection. Um, it's like, I think it's just like GPS. You know, when Alice and I are, are traveling around in the car, she'll, she always likes to put ways on. It's like, what's the best way to go? And ways will tell you, oh, there's a traffic jam over here on this road, so you take, you take some alternate route to get around this, and you know, it might save you two minutes or five minutes or half an hour, whatever. But it will tell you. The GPS, is, it's, it's wired into all the other cars and getting signals and processing all this and tells you, tells you what's the best route to go. And even sometimes it can tell you when's the best time to go. But this was even better. This was the presence of God. <laughs> And it will say, for months at a time, don't go anywhere. Just stay put, stay where you are. For whatever reason, they had no idea why God was doing that, but they figured God knew best and they better do exactly what God says. Uh, so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the activity of the Holy Spirit. Moses, at the end of the 40 years of following this pillar of cloud and fire around, Moses in Deuteronomy he, uh, he dies. He, Moses does die. But before he died, he said a bunch of things that are recorded in Deuteronomy. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 29. So Moses knows he's about to die, and the people are going to be going into Canaan, and they're going to be facing some stiff challenges there. And Moses is reminding them, and, and trying to encourage them. In Deuteronomy 1.29, he says, Then I said to you, don't be terrified of them, or afraid of them. This is the people in the land of Canaan. The Lord your God who goes before your face, he will fight with them, for, he will fight them with you in all things, as he did for you in Egypt and in the desert, where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. In all the way you went until you came to this place. Yet in all this matter you did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to choose a place for you, leading you with a fire by night and the cloud by day and showing you the road that you might travel in it. Showing you the road or literally it's showing you the way that you might travel in it. That's what he's saying. This, this is... This is the picture. God guided you in the past, and he will take care of you in the future. You just need to stick with him. Um, and he will, he will show you the way. Uh, the whole story of the Exodus, there's a book in the, the Apocrypha, the Deuterocanonical books, uh, Wisdom of Solomon. There's, some, it, there's a lot of discussion about this whole Exodus journey here. And... Uh, 
You know, a lot of people don't realize the wisdom of Solomon was it was in the original King James and it was in there for over 200 years before it got taken out sometime within the last 100 years or so. So this was uh, there's something definitely respected in the early church and up till fairly recently. Um, and uh, Catholics and Orthodox still have it in their Bibles. Wisdom of Solomon chapter 10, if you have a Bible that, uh, that has that in it. But Wisdom of Solomon talks a lot about the wilderness journey. And uh, whether you consider this inspired scripture or just an interesting perspective, I'll share it with you. Chapter 10 is talking about the importance of wisdom, and it's referring to wisdom here as she, which is, I think that's also in the Proverbs, we see that, and talk about wisdom, wisdom of Solomon chapter 10, verse 15, she, referring to wisdom in the life and ministry of Moses, she delivered a holy people and a blameless seed from a nation of oppressors. She entered the soul of a servant of the Lord and opposed fearful kings with signs and wonders. She gave to holy men the reward of their labors. She guided them in a marvelous way and became for them a shelter by day and a flame of stars by night. She carried them across the Red Sea and led them through deep water. But she drowned their enemies and cast them up from the depths of the abyss. And so uh, this is a picture of the wisdom of God. Now, you think, well, wisdom of God, uh, that's the wisdom of God. Someplace in Scripture, Jesus referred to as the wisdom of God. The Son of God referred to the wisdom of God. The, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, expressed in the New Testament. It also says in, in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, when it talks about the Holy Spirit, the first thing it says about the Spirit Holy Spirit is the spirit of wisdom. So it says here that uh, uh, she guided them in a marvelous way and became for them a shelter by day and a flame of stars by night. So I thought, a shelter by day, that's interesting. Uh, you think about it, they're in the desert. The sun's beating down on them in the desert. What good is a cloud in the desert? A cloud is a nice shelter. It, keeps, it protects you from the sun. So he says they were sheltered in the day by this, this cloud that was over, over them. But they were, it also guided them by night. And it, it, it describes it poetically as a flame of stars by night. So it's, it's another beautiful picture of that. Um, in chapter 17... Wisdom of Solomon talks about this again. Chapter 17, starting in verse 19. It says, For the whole world was illumined with bright light and embraced unhindered works, while over those men alone heavy night was spread an image of darkness that was about to receive them. But they were heavier than darkness to themselves. But for your holy ones, there was very great light. Their enemies heard their voice, but did not see their form. And they consider them blessed because they had also not suffered. 
For your holy ones did not harm those who previously wronged them. So they were thankful and begged for grace, for being at variance with them. Therefore, you provided a flaming pillar of fire as a guide for their unknown journey and a harmless sun for their glorious exile. For their enemies deserve to be deprived of light and imprisoned in darkness. Those who imprisoned your children through whom the incorruptible light of the law was to be given to the world. So it's a beautiful picture of the pillar that stood before the people were crossing the Red Sea, the pillar that stood between God's people and their Egyptian oppressors, that it cast light, beautiful light, on one side and cast the other side into utter darkness as a foreshadowing of the darkness that they were about to be entered when they were drowned and destroyed in the Red Sea, and as a foreshadowing of the wonderful light that would be given to God's people through the Word of God and the law. So it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture here. I just wanted to stop at the beginning of this lesson and look at these scriptures about all these different aspects of the pillar of cloud and fire that was guiding them in the wilderness. Uh, things that I learned from, from processing these scriptures right here, uh, while the Spirit of God was always there, from, from Genesis chapter 1, we see the Spirit hovering over the waters at the beginning of all things. The Spirit was made manifest in a special guiding role right after the Passover lamb was killed. Which, of course, was foreshadowing Jesus being slain. The Spirit appeared even while they were in Egypt in the land of captivity and showed them the way to the water, the way to get out of the land of bondage. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus told the people to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends on the apostles as tongues of fire, and the Holy Spirit gets the attention of the people in fulfillment of the prophecy in Joel chapter 2. And the conclusion of that is Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, uh, to, for the remission of sins and receive the Holy Spirit. And so so the, the Holy Spirit comes down and points the way to the water there in Acts chapter 2 to the Jews. And then the very same thing happens in Acts chapter 10 in the household of Cornelius. That uh, at, at the beginning in the church, they thought only the Jews would be saved. In Acts chapter 10, I'm going to start reading in verse 44. Think about this. While Peter was still speaking these words, this is in the household of Cornelius, a Gentile, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, and they asked him to stay a few days. And of course, in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15, Peter, Peter recounts the story. So the Holy Spirit was the sign for the Jews pointing them to baptism. And then when Peter sees the Spirit coming down in the same way as he did in Acts chapter 2, 
He says, well, obviously these people can be baptized also. The Holy Spirit leads people to the water. And I think we saw that in, in the story there. The Holy Spirit is active in the lives of people even before they're Christians. In John 16, 8, we read this last time, Jesus said that the Spirit would convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is active in converting unbelievers and convicting them in their hearts of sin, righteousness, and judgment and leading them to the water to get out of slavery. So the Holy Spirit is involved in, is involved in, in conversion, I think we, we see here. The Holy Spirit shows up even while people are in Egypt and guiding them along the right way. So the Holy Spirit is, is, is actively involved in, in leading people out of spiritual slavery. And the Holy Spirit is a wonderful guide leading all the way from the time before someone's baptized and leading them all the way to the promised land. He led them 24-7, 365. It was day and night by pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud in the daytime. All the way to the end. It told them when to stop, when to go, where to go. And the people just camped out wherever it told them to go. Amen. Holy Spirit knows the best way for us to get there. And we need to be paying attention to the Holy Spirit and where the Spirit is leading us. This is the message that we see, we see here in this story. So I, I just I need to hang on to that picture of the Holy Spirit acting through the wilderness to remind me of the importance of the Holy Spirit right now. This, and it's, it was unfortunately it was a bit of a sidelight in the uh, uh, where uh, where I spent many many years uh, spiritually with the church, let's let's go back to John chapter fourteen. John chapter fourteen. We're going to pick up in verse twenty five where we left off last time. Jesus said, "These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper." The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart, let not your heart be troubled, neither let, you, let it be afraid. You've heard me say I'm going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you'd rejoice because I said I'm going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandments, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. There's, there's a lot in there. And I want to focus on the first part of this, where he says in verse 26, The help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things I have said to you. So the two promises there, Holy Spirit will teach them all things, Holy Spirit will bring to you remembrance all things I have said to you. And I want to take the second one of those first, and then we'll go back to the first one. Um, so, the Holy Spirit 
he says, will remind you of all things I have said to you. Now, obviously, will remind you of all things. He's not reminding me of all things he said. He's reminding the apostles who are with him, there with him in the room. People who are unbelievers will often ask me the question, how do you know that what it says in the scripture was is actually correct? How do you know it's true? How do you know it's accurate? And after all, most people think that the apostles who are writing these things down, it might have been 10, 20, 30 years after the fact that these things were actually written down. Hey, I, my, my memory isn't that good about what happened yesterday, let, al- let alone uh, 10 years from now or five years from now. So people, the natural conclusion would be, how do I know that these things are accurate? Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit, he promises them, the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance all the things that I have said to you. So when we're reading the Gospels, people ask me, they challenge me all the time, why why do you put such confidence in the Scriptures? Can't there be mistakes or errors in the Scriptures? And I'll say, well, let's start with the words of Jesus. And they'll say, well, that's circular reasoning. You're using the Bible to reinforce the Bible. I said, no, not, not exactly. Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God. And he claimed that the proof that he was the Son of God would be his resurrection, his death, and his resurrection in fulfillment of all the prophecies written beforehand. Either he was or he wasn't. If Jesus was the Son of God, And if he was the Son of God and he says, the Holy Spirit is going to remind you of all the things I have said to you, if he is the Son of God, I have no problem. If God can raise the dead, he can certainly bring back to remembrance all the things that he's written. So I I take it right back to the words of Jesus, that uh, he he promised that the Holy Spirit would would remind them of that. This whole idea that the Holy Spirit is inspiring those who are writing Scripture, um, is this a New Testament idea, or is this something that's also all over the Old Testament? The idea that the Scripture is inspiring the writers, that the Scripture is intervening and putting these, these thoughts and remembrances into people's minds. Let's turn to Acts chapter 28. Paul is in Rome here, and he's arguing with Jews. So this is a Jew arguing with other Jews and using the Old Testament prophecies to make his point. Let's listen to what he says. Acts chapter 28, verse 23. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. So what's Paul doing? He's using the prophecies of the Old Testament to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, 
Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. Seeing you will see and not perceive. For the heart of this people has grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. And I would heal them. Of course, that's from Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah is in the throne room of God. And Paul uses this to go after the Jews who don't believe. And he's, he's a fellow Jew. And he says, Isaiah was talking about people like you who are hard-hearted, who hear the truth and don't accept it. But he says, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet. Now, I noticed that the response of the Jews isn't, what are you talking about the Holy Spirit? I've never heard of a Holy Spirit or... You know, the, this is Isaiah writing. He does. There's no argument on this point that the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit was was supporting what what uh, Isaiah was said. That Isaiah was writing from the Holy Spirit. Peter makes the same point in Second Peter chapter two and verse one. He says, first of all, you must understand. Let, let's turn there. First, for Second Peter chapter one. Peter's saying, look, we're not making this stuff up. In verse 16, he says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received from God the Father honor and glory when such voice came to him in the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice which came from heaven when we're, in him, when we're with him on the holy mountain, so this is Mount of Transfiguration, Peter says, I was there, I heard this, I'm an eyewitness. Verse 19, he says, And we all, so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you'll do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter's saying the same thing that, that, that Paul is saying. He said, he's saying not just Isaiah, but all the prophets when they were, for, when they were foretelling the things that would happen the, uh, with the, the Christ coming that has now been fulfilled, he said, prophecy never came from the will of man. Holy men from God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was moving through the prophets. Not only was the Holy Spirit reminding the apostles of what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit has always been moving in the, in the, in the, in the hearts and minds of men who were writing down the sacred scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a verse that's, that's very well known to, to many of us. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But Paul is writing to Timothy in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. From there we know that Timothy, a young disciple, his father was Greek, uh, his mother was Jewish, and let's start reading in verse 12. Think about what Paul is saying. Verse, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. 
He says, yes, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being as deceived. But you must continue in the things which you've learned and become assured of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, it says here, verse 15, it says, From childhood you have known, and in some translations, which is absolutely accurate, from infancy. It's basically it's from the time you were a baby. You knew when you're, when you're at your mother's in your mother's lap. Okay, from the time you were a baby, you knew the, the scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, or, or literally, and it has it in some translations, it is God-breathed. It's, come, it's the breath of God. It comes from the mouth of God. And this is the, this is the picture, and he's talking here clearly, says, Timothy, the scriptures that you raised by a Jewish mother, knew from the time you were a baby that these are all inspired by God. These are all God-breathed scriptures. So it's talking about the, you know, some at the Old Testament there. They didn't really have that. They didn't have a New Testament when Timothy was, was a baby. Um, several places in the Old Testament, we see God putting his spirits on people. And men, the Spirit of God comes down on men and they, they prophesy. They, they, issue, they issue proclamation which is inspired by God from the Holy Spirit. I want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. This is a, this is a classic passage that illustrates this point. The inspiration of the Bible by the Holy Spirit is the foundation of foundations. This is something we never yield an inch on. This is where it all begins. Never ever budge on this point. And I want you to understand this is what Jesus taught. This is what Paul taught. This is what Peter Peter taught. And, and, and this, is, this is exactly the truth. Is that the reason we put our faith in the scriptures is not because I was taught this in the church that I attend. is because that's what Jesus and the apostles taught. That's the attitude that they had. And that's why we need to be devoted to devouring the scripture. Scripture is important because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Old Testament and New both. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. Um, this is after the captivity... The Jews have returned, and they're not in good spiritual condition. Put it, put it mildly here. And Ezra is a great man of God who's devoted to the Word of God. And he, in the book of Nehemiah, Ezra steps up and gives a devastating lesson. He's reminding them of the history of their own nation. 
and all the times that they abandoned God and suffered for it. And he's calling them to repent of the sin that they're involved in. I want to turn to uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 28. He says, But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. Therefore, he's talking, this is a prayer to God. Therefore, you left them in the hands of their enemies, so they had dominion over them. Yet again they cried out to you, and you heard from heaven, and you delivered them according to the multitude of your mercies, and testified against them, that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they stubbornly turned their backs, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified them against them, testified against them by your spirits in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the land. So Ezra understand, understood this clearly. He said, God sent the people. They were stubborn. They were rebellious. He said, you testified against them by your spirits in your prophets. So we see this even in the Old Testament, that the Spirit of God was acting through the prophets. Zechariah chapter 7, it says the same thing. We're not going to turn there, but you can look at that yourself, verses 7 to 12. The people, it says that God sent His Spirit. Zechariah said God sent His Spirit by the hands of the former prophets. So what Peter and Paul are teaching about the inspiration of the Scriptures was nothing new. They didn't learn that from Jesus. That's all over the Old Testament. The idea that the Holy Spirit inspired the prophets in their writing. Peter, Peter, Peter and Paul are just reminding them of something that they already knew as Jews. So as I mentioned before, this is something we can never compromise on. The inspiration of the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. It's not because people ask me, what kind of Christian are you? Are you Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you fundamentalist? I said, well, what do you mean? What do those labels mean? I'm just a Christian. There's no, and a fundamentalist Christian, I don't know what that, that even means. I, I believe Jesus and I follow him, and my attitude towards the scriptures is exactly the attitude that he had, that he and his followers, the inspired apostles, had when they pointed that the Spirit inspired the writers. This is the bedrock foundation on which everything else rests. So we need to be rock solid on the inspiration of scripture by the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, that's what happens. People go off to, to uh, uh, seminaries. You know, somebody wants, to, I say, so somebody wants to go in the ministry. I've had people go, say, I want to go to the ministry. I want to go to a seminary to study. The first thing they teach in most seminaries in the United States is the first thing they do is they attack the inspiration of Scripture. So they said, don't go there. This is, those places are snake pits. Stay out of those places. If they don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture, you have no business going there. You're not equipped to do battle with those people. Uh, that you're, you know, you're just not ready. You're not ready to enter into that arena. You need to get strong. Hang out with the early Christians. Meditate on the Word of God so you can be able to tackle that that nonsense. Um, 
You know, we can't, the other thing is we can't dismiss the scriptures when we run into something we don't like in the scriptures. That's, that's when people, people run into something in the Bible that they don't like. It goes against their worldview. It, 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 it gores their per, personal oxen or offends them or, or their friends or their family. You can't do that. Now, some, some people say, okay, Jesus' writings, okay, I'll accept those. But I have a problem with what Paul said. I've got a problem with what Paul said. Jesus, the red letters in the Bible, i got a red letter Bible. I'm going to take what Jesus said in the Gospels because, okay, I'll grant you that the, the apostles, that, that the apostles remembered all the words of Jesus correctly. But Jesus, what did Jesus teach about all the controversial subjects? Okay? He taught about some of them, but role of women. The, the headship of men and the family in the church. Did Jesus really talk about that? I mean, it's, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the writings of Paul. Some, some of the most controversial write, writings that people have problems with are teachings on homosexuality. This is in Paul's writings, not, not in, in the Gospels. Well, can you, just, can you just blow off the things that Jesus himself doesn't mention? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. I'd love to point this verse out to people who have a hard time with, with Paul's writings. First I'll, first I'll go to the, the passage in John chapter 14 where Jesus says he's going to remind the apostles of everything he said and lead them into all truth, Peter being in the room. I say, all right, let's take a look at what Peter had to say about Paul's writings. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom that God, the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. So, what do we learn about this? First of all, Peter, who was one of the immediate disciples of Jesus, completely confirms what Paul's writing. He says, Paul's writing according to the wisdom given to him, ignorant and unstable people distort what he says just like they do the rest of the scriptures. He's elevating Paul's writing to scripture. His attitude is that Paul is writing under inspiration. And guess what? People have always been twisting and distorting the scriptures. Nothing new. And uh, he says, look, his, his, his writings do contain some things that are hard to understand. All right, so we've we got we to wrestle through these things. But he's writing to the wisdom that's given to him. And uh, they're, they're equivalent to Scripture also. So there we have it. We have the, the words of Jesus. We have the, 
the, the words of Paul in the New Testament. We have the, 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 the words of the, the prophets in the Old Testament. The, the bedrock foundation of the inspiration of Scripture. Um, and the, the first point, which I thought I was going to have time to hit, we'll, we'll reserve that for the next lesson where he says he will guide you into all truth. There's some wonderful, uh, significant consequences of that as well. Amen.